Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season 13, episode 5 of the Scene from Above podcast, which aims to showcase the latest and greatest remote sensing in geoscience while keeping inclusivity at the forefront. This season of Scene from Above is brought to you by Up42 and June Ansomness. I am Flavia, and today I'm joined with co host Morgan. Hey, Morgan, how are you? Hey there, Flavia. I'm doing pretty well today. Um, I've been really excited to see updates from the Winter Landsat Science team meeting on Twitter this week. And I've also been excitedly planning um, which scientific conferences I'll be attending this year. So IGARS, IASNR, a couple others. I hope to see maybe some of you there. Oh, me too. That's awesome. Maybe in the deal for good. We can finally meet yeah, all of them. No? That would be great. <laughs> So our listeners can be sure to stay tuned for any social and mixers that we will be planning. And it's a great way to meet other fans of Sinfran Above, Sisters of Sar, Ladies of Landsat, and other amazing woman groups. Absolutely, Flavia. Um, so Flavia, before we get to the news and our awesome interview segment today, I also want to acknowledge um, for our listeners that, you know, we know this podcast isn't necessarily for everyone. We um, have our own approach to making scene from above our own. We're highlighting diverse stories and perspectives and earth observations. And we do come from a place of interest and excitement. So we really appreciate all of you listeners who continue to support us and our vision as we're, you know, starting this journey together. And as you know, from when we described in our first episode of season 13, Andrew and Alistair reached out to us to take on Seen From Above when they were ready to move on from it. We were really excited to take on this opportunity as a group so that it would be fun and interesting for us all. And we really wanted to make sure that the Seen From Above a uh, the scene from above legacy lives on and it's really been fun for us I'd say we really enjoy working together and we've made really quite a few new friends along the way um, like Raphael getting to work with her has just been so cool um, especially because we you know came across together um, with her her newsletter so just wanted to put that out there we've you know just wanted it out there <laughs> Yeah, Rafaela was an amazing discovering, let's say, from the, the groups that we are always involved in. Thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, Morgan. I think it's possible that this new season isn't for you. And so we thank you for giving us a shot. But there is no hard feelings if we don't count you as a listener moving forward. So let's move forward. <laughs> Thanks so much for saying that, Flavia. That's such a great point. So, okay, in lighter and brighter news, let's move on to our news segment from our friend Rafaela. Hi, Morgan. Thank you. And let's go to the news. The Landsat 8 recovers from safe hold mode, an anomaly causing the spacecraft to enter into a safe hold mode on Thursday, January 26. The data received from the satellite's operational land imager and thermal infrared sensor are currently being assessed by USGS and NASA calibration and validation team. The data from January 28 to the present will be made available for download. It's important to mention that no Landsat 8 data were acquired during the safe hold event. To view the last SWATs, access the Landsat pending acquisitions calendar. 
Copernicus has a new portal. The data space ecosystem portal is now online, a revolutionary and user-friendly gateway to Sentinel data and to processing and storage in the cloud. On the new portal, you can easily access a large amount of open and free Earth observation data and discover, visualize, download, stream, and analyze data. It's worth a look. SpaceX begins 2023 with the Transporter 6 launch. After a recording setting year of launch activity in 2022, SpaceX kitted off the new year with a launch of more than 110 small sets, the largest single customer on the launch in terms of the number of satellites was planet with 36. Iceberg breaks off in Antarctica. Satellite imagery confirms an enormous iceberg around five times the size of Malta has finally broken off. This crack was first revealed to be extending in early 2012 after having been dormant for some decades. After several years, image data from Copernicus Sentinel missions visually confirmed the calving event. This and other news you can find in my newsletter. The link is in the description of this episode. Whoa, thanks so much, Rafaela, for keeping us up to date. This is scary to hear about the Landsat 8, and I'm so glad that it's back up and running. Really, when I read that, it was so bad, but I'm super happy yeah. that now it's back. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that would throw a wrench in a lot of our research plans for many of us, so... Um, yeah, it, it's very wild. So, okay. Well, I'm excited to share our interview today with an amazing woman in Earth observation and geospatial sciences. Um, so we got to interview our collaborator, Sabrina Zato, who's a geospatial consultant, a Google developer expert for Earth Engine, and one of the co-founders and former director of Women Plus in Geospatial. Oh, I'm so excited about this interview. Sabrina has a diverse skill set and interested, and her contributions have ranged from creating training materials for atmospheric composition applications like monitoring dust events, wildfires, to develop code in Earth Engine for conservation applications. So let's learn more in our interview segment right now. Welcome, Sabrina. Thanks, Morgan. Thanks, Flavia. It's a great <laughs> honor to be here with you all. Well, thank you for joining us. We're so lucky because we've been able to work with you over the past couple of years in a variety of ways. You've been able to meet Flavia at Living Planet Symposium, which is so awesome. And and you and I have intersected for, uh, I guess, since 2018 um, in the Earth Engine community. And it's so wonderful to be able to chat with you. Well, Sabrina, um, one way that we like to kick these kind of interviews off is to really hear about your journey in EO. You've really been all over the world working in Earth observation sciences. So how did you get your start in the field? How did you get to where you are today? Um, can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. So I must say that my interest in geospatial sciences or geography has been its kind of a common thread. It's been throughout my life since childhood, I will say. So the interest is already there. And I'm just really happy to be able to be working in a field that I'm just really passionate about um, today. So I would say my journey really started in university when I got exposure to um, GIS software and working with a GPS 
learning about satellites and how a GPS works because I took this geosciences class where we had to measure craters and based on the different layers of stone or uh, rocks kind of determine like which crater erupted first was our like final project, which was kind of cool. And <clears throat> going beyond that, like using GIS software for the first time, seeing how things work and learning about different layers and information and how you attach that to geographic coordinates um, was really fascinating. And then later on during my master's, I really dove deeper into the field. Um, I took my first Earth observation classes at that point and also started to learn how to program and was exposed to Google Earth Engine and programming in, in JavaScript and Python. So it was sort of this journey that um, kind of led me to, I guess, connect my interest in environmental sciences, geography, and then have real life applications. That's great, Sabrina. And now we would love to hear more about the Sabrina's Edu Consulting and what is this? When did you start and what it's like to be self-employed in the earth observation sector? After I graduated from my from my master's, I worked as a geospatial analyst for nearly three years at Yale. And we were working mainly with landowners in the American West who were interested in conservation and other programs that would um, seek to work with the ecosystem and, and agriculture uh, in, in those spaces. And during this time, I was still getting a lot of calls from my classmates who had graduated who are now working in different organizations. And they would ask me questions about where to find data sets or if they got stuck on something, like how to fix this problem. Um, because I had somehow gained the reputation as the geospatial earth observation person. So I knew that there was a demand out there if there were so many people still like writing to me, even though um, I was not officially consulting. When I moved to Germany in 2019, I decided that this was the time to try it out. So I just put out a message on LinkedIn, made a website and made it known that I was available. So that was kind of my start in doing independent consulting. And I figured that I would give myself a period of time to try it out. And if it didn't work, then it didn't work and I would go look for a job. But in, in the course of the, the first couple of months, um, I got a few really interesting contracts which helped me to get started and um, definitely made me see the potential in working on projects that I cared about and also working with interesting people um, on, on different topics. So this has definitely been very fulfilling so far. I was so excited because I, I see right now, I feel like constantly, I, uh, you know, on Twitter, we see what you're working on or a little snapshot of what you're working on. And it's always exciting to see what you're working on next. And I think like one thing that I always really admire is you write exceptional tutorials and you don't just do that for work. You also do that as outreach as well and help other people learn to write those tutorials. Um, it's, it's really uh, remarkable your quality to educate other people how to to teach themselves geospatial like with earth engine i always see that with like the community tutorials that you led as a hackathon i guess it was in 2019 and um that's a a major thread i guess in a lot of your uh your consulting as well is is teaching others how to do it as well. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of this connects to my my background in anthropology, but also working with students like right after my masters, and I was mentoring a lot of students like one on one, 
who are also trying to figure out how to use Earth Engine or ArcGIS for their projects. Yeah, I guess this whole idea of communicating and understanding what the other person is trying to do, what their goals are, and helping them figure out the best way to do it and helping them learn how to do it so that they can do it themselves. I think that's what I truly enjoy. So yeah, being able to continue this, I guess, person-to-person -person connection through um, the consulting work and writing these tutorials has been has been really really great. I think you as I mean you were you you are owner of a company and it's very clear to see that we have a big gap right between what the people like would like to have as a product and what geospatial can offer right. So it's very difficult to translate in a few words in a very simple word how you can tackle many problems in many areas using geospatial solutions. So these tutorials that you recorded, as Morgan said, they are very important also to educate also our industry and they can see these tutorials and understand, okay, maybe I can also solve my problem uh, because I saw this tutorial from Sabrina as an example and it works super fine. And you, you are kind of also helping the community grow and also really dive into different areas of the industry and and also make sure that to, to people and to make them understand the importance of using EO to tackle many problems that we have nowadays, principally related to climate change. So it's a very, very nice and interesting job that you do, as Morgan said as a consulting, but also as like, like being transparent and being this add value uh, to the industry in general about uh, what they can do yeah. with observation. And I guess, Flavia, you coming from a forestry background, um, you know that in forestry, you actually, in a way, have to be um, someone who knows a lot about many different little things uh, in different domains. So not just about, um, say, silviculture or the way trees grow, but also um, ecology and also people and what their goals are for managing forests and then some economics and so forth. And I think because of this like generalist background, um, we are able to, I think, connect with different people and understand also the goals for, for, for managing um, a forest or goals for managing land can differ from person to person or organization to organization. And I think that's overall a very important skill that we need to remember in, in our, like, that it's important in, in the Earth observation space, that connection between applications and goals and not just the technical knowledge behind them. Yeah, that's I just that just really made me think we're all from a forestry background, but kind of non-traditional forestry backgrounds, which is so cool. And I take for granted that work as a generalist in the field. Sometimes personally, I feel like, oh, I don't know enough about one topic. I don't know enough about another topic. But I think all three of us really thrive in knowing so many different things and can add so much to a conversation with um, kind of this alternative perspective and, and not, uh, you know, I think sometimes in the field, it's important that people don't pretend they know something that they don't. I think we're all very good about wanting to learn more and recognizing what we know and what we don't know. And I think like, I know for community tutorials in the Earth Engine community, they were kind of one of the first context driven tutorials where you had the why with the script as well and so like you know prior to that maybe you could grab the code in the developer forum but then with the community tutorials um you could really understand the like science and the like domain knowledge that you need um i think you all did a really great job bringing that in 
because sometimes that wasn't always, you know, the the forefront of the community when people were using this tool in their own fields. I guess speaking of that Earth Engine community, so in addition to being, you know, the Google developer expert in Earth Engine, you also started the Earth Engine user meetups. And there's such a an excitement and demand and it a wonderful community around that. Could you tell us more about that, uh, how you started it and um, how it's been going? Um, this honestly came out of the pandemic because before when I was still working in person at Yale, I, I also ran this in-person Earth Engine working group. Oh. And during the pandemic, when everything shut down and I, I also moved to Germany, I really miss this connection with people in the community who were, you know, getting together to share their work, share tips. If someone was stuck on something, they would talk about their problem and then other people would suggest ways that they could solve it. And this peer-to-peer -peer teaching, support, learning was something that I, I really missed. And so um, I started these like monthly meetups to have a community speaker so anyone can volunteer to share their work and others can ask them questions. And um, they're also able to then share technical knowledge about how they did what they did and the limits maybe of their workflows or things they wish could be done better or challenges that they still face. And then last year, as you know, in-person meetings became possible again, we had a few gatherings that were in-person at the Living Planet Symposium. And there was also another one in Kuala Lumpur. And I was also uh, in Singapore for another one with uh, as a collaboration between uh, some, some professors at the Nanyang Technological University and the National University of Singapore. So yeah, I'm really excited to see that, you know, we can meet in person again. When we go to Earth Engine, sure, we all like the Earth Engine Summit or the Geo for Good, we all have the shared tool that we use this, uh, this contact. But when you go to a normal conference like IGARS or another remote sensing one, it's not, not many people use Earth Engine. So it's really nice to be able to connect in person with everyone as well. I guess that was probably the driving force to meeting up in person as well again. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great to see people that you've only, that I've only met online um, in person, which was really, really neat. So it's also nice that when you meet in person, finally, you also have that feeling, like you said, Flavia, that you've known this person for a while, even though you've never met them in person before. Um, but yeah, it's still really, really great to be able to connect and, and see people face to face because you don't really, I guess, interact in the same way on social media as you would uh, in person, except when you're actually doing things together, like, you know, Morgan and Flavia, what, what we do um, collaborate together sometimes. Yeah, that, that was wonderful. Um, I guess I was also really excited to see how how much emphasis was being placed on, yeah, I guess Earth Engine within the Google Cloud platform made it clear that, you know, Earth Engine's here to stay and there's a lot of investment being put into it. So uh, that's great. And it's always good to see how people are using the platform for their own projects, be it for conservation or like public health or integrating different forms of data. And I think what I really enjoy about the Geo for Good Summit is that it's not just focused on one thing or one topic, but you have a wide range of topics um, where people come from different backgrounds focused on different areas in uh, environmental or social sciences or humanitarian uh, projects and work. And then you get to see a lot of how people are using um, technology to make these goals happen and work for different different fields. So it's always been very inspiring to go for the go to the Geo for Good. It's amazing to hear that, Sabina, because it just 
I mean, it makes me think about Google Earth Engine, right, as a, as a product, a platform. You said that in the last one, you saw a lot of application and it's so, it, it translates what Google Earth Engine is, right? Because we have a huge catalog of data from every topic you can imagine, whatever kind of data you can have. It's important that they really show in the event like the different applications because the platform can store so many different kinds of data. So it's translate a lot, let's say, the meaning of the platform, right? If they have su such a big collection of data set, this kind of meet meetings needs to, to cover every topic that we that we are talking, let's say, or discussing inside of the Earth Observation community. Yes, absolutely. And um, it was also great to see not just researchers there, but also community practitioners and nonprofit organizations who were using um, different Google technologies also for, for gathering data, for engaging community members in planning and yeah, designing what their communities will look like. So it was also good to see sessions about uh, working with people who are non-coders or who may not have the same kind of access as we do to the internet or have the same familiarity with, with technical things. So yeah, it, it was definitely, yeah, I think a lot of that connects also to how, how we communicate, translating what we do into, I, I mean, using useful analogies, I think, to translate what a technical process can be. Um, yeah, it's definitely helpful as well to share what we do and, and, and the results of that. Yeah, I guess I I like I feel like the Geo for Good community has completely impacted my career and my like path in geospatial and earth observation sciences because of that communication. So I I can't imagine a summit without all of those practitioners there as well because you really get to think about how your science can be used in action. And it it really, I, I think on my end, has taught me like the importance of meaningful science and, and um, you know, mandate driven science, things that are going to make a change. And it's it really is like you get it geo for good. And there's all these change makers in the same room and all these different ways from science backgrounds. And it helps in the end, like our communication, as you said, Sabrina. Yeah. This reminds me of Emil, actually. He's such a good person on Twitter. He's sharing so much data there it's it's so impressive all the catalogs and workshops and he's definitely a great gd for ge together with all the group of course but it just reminded me of this what you said uh, sabrina and morgan about this community right like how we share the data and how we teach each other how to do this and that when we talk about coding uh so google earth engine also it's also very inclusive and and and, and let's say platform and it really cares with diversity inclusion because you can really see the impact, for example, in some communities, which they don't have like a powerful computer, but they have access to internet. So they can do like this heavy data processing into this uh, into this platform. I, I, I see the the value that um, that Google Earth Engine adds to the diversity and inclusion inside of our community. And talking about community, I would like to jump to our next topic, which is super exciting also. Sabrina is not only the co-founder of Woman Plus in Geospatial, but also the one who started the mentorship program, which has a huge impact in our community. So tell us more about it, Sabrina. A lot of this is because I've myself experienced the benefit of mentorship. I thought, you know, it's definitely possible to, to get something 
started as well at Women Plus in Geospatial. So this again started in 2019 when I was at the Living Planet Symposium and I met uh, Julia Wagaman for the first time. At that point, Women Plus in Geospatial was extremely new. It had been around for a few months. And then at the symposium, I asked her, you know, do you all have a mentorship program? Is there something, is this something you'll be interested in? And she, she said, no, we don't have one yet, but you're welcome to, you know, get, get a working group together and get something started. So that was one of the first things I, I did in, in getting involved with Women Plus in Geospatial. And it was based off a mentorship program that I myself had gone through and attended. At that point in my mind, it was fairly easy to set up. You basically got people to apply, you matched the mentors and the mentees based on their interests, and then you connected them and you provided some support along the way with a guidebook and regular meetings. But of course, it turns out to always be more work than you imagine. Um, but it was also incredibly rewarding because again, this started off right before the pandemic hit and it was completely online. So we were able to match people who were maybe in the same time zone, but were from like completely different continents or countries. Also be able to connect people who maybe were more close, closely um, in terms of geography um, located. So it was an interesting mix of um, different groups. Um, folks came from different types of backgrounds, hoping to work on different things from starting their own business to getting a PhD, improving their programming skills um, or finding a job. So there was a wide range of uh, people at different career stages who were applying to be mentors and mentees. And, and since then, I've passed the baton on to another team. Currently, the mentorship program has continued to thrive. It's now in its fourth year or fourth cohort. And we have reached over 400 participants in, in this whole span of time. So it's like iterative programming, right? You, you fix some bugs, you improve things, add new features. So it's really exciting to see how it looks like today with um, a social media campaign that highlights people who are uh, from underrepresented gender backgrounds and also um, legacy projects where the mentorship teams actually work on a project together that they then use to benefit the community. So I can just imagine it made such a huge difference, especially early on in the pandemic when people felt so alone and isolated to be able to have their mentors and the cohort to turn to. It probably just had a, an enormous impact on everyone's careers, uh, mentees and mentors. <laughs> yes. And, and the exciting thing is that we've seen like mentees sign up to be mentors in subsequent oh, cohorts okay. or because they benefited from the program, started to volunteer and join the team that's organizing it. So it's definitely been really good to see how people like pay it forward in a way uh, with, their, yeah. with their time and energy. And it's what I'm very impressed and happy to see in the Women Plus and Geospatial is the diversity of geographic location, right? You have the the mentorship for example I don't know from Brazil for example so sometimes we feel much better to talk and to express ourselves in our native language so having this such a huge community members that you have 79 side of the woman plus patient, it's very important for all of people from every part of the world feel comfortable and feel welcome to express in their own language Absolutely. And I think connected to that, there was also a lot of demand for more regional or local based groups where people could find other folks in the geospatial industry that were located closer to them. And so in the past year, in 2022, we kicked off this regional ambassadors program where are now trying to have um, 
national or country representatives as well as regional representatives to kind of be that connecting point and have meetups for people in a certain region or country and connect to also local employers or local events. Yeah, there's definitely a benefit to being global, but then you also want to make sure if people want to meet up for a coffee, they can have that place to meet up in person as well or or the occasion to meet up. What an amazing program and so so smart in terms of longevity for the group being able to expand your reach and at multiple scales, but also for you as a leader to know the mentorship programs and great hands. I can, you know, take the time away. If I want to come back, I can, but I also can just watch it thrive without me. I think that, you know, I think Flavia and I as leaders of an organization also, we always are thinking about that. And uh, we really admire how Women Plus and Geospatial has done that because there's just so many incredible leaders all over the world who have their place and can run whatever they aligns with their interests and their regional goals. It's so cool to see. Yeah, and I think uh, what the both of you do with Ladies of Landsat in terms of creating a platform and bringing other voices to the table and also making a space for people to share their work, be recognized as leaders. I think uh, you you all are, are doing this and I see you do this and that's really inviting people to try something new, to step up, to, to become a leader at Ladies of Landsat. And I think that's really important because sometimes all it takes is that invitation and people are then feeling encouraged that they can try and take this step and they just grow and shine. So yeah, that's definitely something that I see you both do as well. So definitely recommend that also for folks listening on this podcast to invite someone and have them um, take up a leadership position wherever you are. I love that. It's so true. Like a lot of times I think for us, for for you, for giving like what Julia did for you, empowering someone to really take ownership and go forward and be the leader and helping them along the way. I think sometimes we expect, especially, I mean, at least I feel like sometimes, especially as a woman, I might think I need to have everything lined up perfectly to prove my worth as a leader. But sometimes part of being a leader is also having someone hold your hand and teach you how to be a leader. And give you the opportunity to learn from your own experiences and um, take ownership in what you're doing. And it's so amazing. I think, you know, we think about mentors as individuals one-to-one, but we also as organizations all kind of mentor each other along the way and learn from each other and work together. And I think that's why we're all able to thrive so well is because when we join forces, when we come together, when we can see, you know, what's working with one group, what could work for another group, it's, it keeps us all going, I guess. Absolutely. And, and we need this, collective energy and um, collective momentum to make change happen. So it's absolutely great to see how the different networks are collaborating and highlighting this important topic in our industry, the need for more inclusion, more diversity, more equity. Awesome. I agree. (laughs) So, okay. So we're talking about, you know, our groups, we're talking about the field of earth observation and geospatial broadly, but, you know, when you think about this earth observation community, the science, the industry, the value chain, whatever, however you think of it. Um, What do you like most about it? But what do you think is still missing? I think having moved from the US to Europe, when I first moved here, I attended a few earth observation events. It just looked like there was so much investment being poured into the space in, in, in the European region that I was just amazed because I did not see this when I was still uh, working in the US. And there's just so much action going on. And there's so many small startups that are trying to apply Earth observation to a very specific 
field or domain um, and trying to solve all kinds of problems ranging from how to map fields and identify crops and predict yield and things like this. So it's just this huge variety of things that you can supposedly do with Earth observation data and Earth observation, I guess, technology uh, that's out there. It can, it can feel a bit confusing at times. Um, at the same time, there's so much data being produced that sometimes it's hard to keep a hold of uh, what's coming up, how on earth do I access it, how do I open it? Um, and there's this gap, I think, in terms of communication uh, of course, on the one hand, there's a lot of excitement and investment in trying to connect the applications with the data, but at the same time, uh, the data is still pretty opaque. So you still need some technical expert to be that middle person. I think that's where maybe a lot of us stand in that gap, where we know enough about Earth observation data and technology and how to work with it. And we also know enough about what the applications are and how it can possibly be used. And then you are that person to kind of bridge the gap between, you know, this opaque world of data and then the actual applications on the ground. Um, I think we need more people like that who can understand both sides and um, bring people together, you know, bring together a team that has the right backgrounds uh, to, to connect that um, is definitely challenging. I think this is something that a lot of startups are working on right now. So it's gonna be exciting to see how this explosion of data and explosion of computing power gets used in the near future. And then I guess now like ChatGPT and like other AI tools are all, all the rage right now. And already we are seeing how it's changing, how professors set exams or set homework assignments because students can now use this chat program to write a five-page essay. And what does that mean for our field, right? Like um, if, if a software program can write fairly decent code, what does that mean for people who um, are writing code for work workflows in Earth, en uh, in Earth Engine or Earth Observation in general? So I think it's gonna be exciting to see what can happen and how our fuel will change. And also, yeah, it's an exciting time. So let's just keep our eyes out, I guess. <laughs> yes, this the chat, it's so incredible. When it was out, I just wrote like, could you please write a code for me to analyze the NDVI using uh, Nikki Fi data from Planet Scope, and then just wrote me in Google Earth Engine and said, oh my God, all my problems are more or less solved. Of course, not like complete, but gives you an idea about the structure and how you can do it. So it was, it. I think it's pretty amazing, but it still likes a lot of things. This day, I think I saw a very, very funny meme on the internet showing like how these things can really miss in what you want like oh please could you show me picture of a salmon going down to the river and then they take salmon like the salmon where you buy in the supermarket going and down and to the river water, right? so i think we humans <laughs> still have a lot of space in this field until they can reach the exactly point but it's indeed super interesting to see where their market is moving sabrina yes and i think um another I guess the important skill there is we we as people working in the space still need to know enough to be able to read and understand what um, a code generated by AI is doing and then be able to say, oh, these few lines really make sense and this really works. 
And then, okay, this is not what I needed to do. So these other few lines I'm going to discard and rewrite. And I think being able to read, interpret, and understand uh, is definitely important. The knowledge holders. I think like there's been a conversation in the past couple of years that everyone needs to become programmers in Earth Engine but or in uh, Earth Observation Sciences. But really what we're seeing is with with the AI platforms, well, we might be able to get that and fix it ourselves. So we have to have a little bit of everything so we can know when it's right, when it's wrong, when it works, but it's never going to replace, like you said, that that other knowledge that we hold as humans. Um, although maybe there's some AI people listening who would disagree with me with saying that. But Well, okay. So we have this last question for you. For people who are listening, they may not know, but you are nearing your due date um, to become a mother in STEM of twins. Um, so what are your thoughts looking forward? What do you hope for your children, for yourself as a mother? Um, you know, what have you been thinking about recently? <laughs> so I think in line, in line with what you said, Morgan, about sustainability, I've already begun to like step down from a bunch of volunteering things that I do, including being a director at Women Plus in Geospatial. And one of the last things I did was to, um, together with a team of two other people, run our first ever elections for the organization amongst the, the active volunteers. And so I'm very happy to say that I've found an awesome person to step into the, the role. And I'm really excited for her to come and join our board. Of course, I, I won't say who she is now because we will be making the announcement later. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's just been wonderful to kind of put uh, a close, the end of, of a chapter and open a new chapter. And in terms of hopes, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a brave new world, right? We have a lot of challenges coming up, environmental challenges, social challenges. Yeah, there, there's a lot of bad news out there, but I, I think there's still also a lot of hope um, amongst people who uh, are actively creating, I would say, a better future or trying to. Um, and I see that in our industry, in our field, a lot of people working on problems and challenges. That gives me also hope for the future. And it's going to be interesting to see how uh, my career develops uh, at the same time as uh, learning about being a mother. I think there will be new challenges in terms of definitely discrimination. And yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to say how, how people re will react to this news going on. Already, I have experienced some folks uh, trying to give me advice that may or may not be uh, what I'm looking for or <laughs> that I need or um, trying to make decisions for me about how I can or cannot spend my time, which... Uh, it's not very helpful, but I think it will help me to, yeah, I guess, learn from others and, uh, yeah, continue working in this space in the future to to make make our industry a more equitable one. Awesome. Yeah, I don't have any um, advice because that was like the thing I didn't want when I was pregnant, like how you are right now. Um, <laughs> and people always offer advice, um, but just take it one day at a time and you're going to do awesome and you're going to have new super superpowers that you didn't even realize you had um, and a whole new fire burning that's going to propel you to a whole new heights that you didn't even know was possible so you are going to be an amazing mother you're going to continue to have an amazing impact on the field of earth observations and and we're so happy to know you and to be able to watch you go into this new season of life um sabrina so thank you <laughs> yeah thanks morgan thanks Flavia. <laughs>
that that means a lot appreciate and don't it forget we have a huge community also and that's why we have all these groups also to support each other and absolutely and yeah just having having uh, you all around and the different networks i feel that we're all connected and no one is ever alone and all we have to do is really reach out and stay in touch and especially because when it's like 3 a.m your time in europe it's you know only like 8 p.m my time so you oh, can yeah. always message me when you're nursing <laughs> or the babies are up and you're not alone so yeah, that's you have this whole global network for all yeah. 24 hours of the day when you're awake and i will tell you <laughs> i drew upon that some days when i was in that situation so we're here for you absolutely thanks morgan well great i, I feel like we could probably skip the rapid fire questions today because I, <laughs> yes. I feel like that's a really wonderful way to end the interview so thank you so much sabrina it's just so great to talk to you and um to learn so much more about you thank you very much sabrina to learn more about your professional life but also to really hear this powerful message that you just uh said like in the last minute minutes so it was very powerful and i'm sure that you are still like influencing a lot of women and they can see you as a role model right so that's also a way to mentor even though when you are not like uh, active in 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 the sense of like meeting people one by one yes and i'll be gone for a while but i'll be back so i'll still be online on twitter and on mastodon and linkedin but I hope to see you all again in the future in person, somewhere at some conference, maybe at yeah. a deal for good in the future as well. Yeah, when we're planning our next takeover of Earth Observation Field or whatever comes next, we'll uh, we'll all be together, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. that's true. And I'm next to you, Sabrina. Don't forget that. I'm only probably 30 minutes away from you. <laughs> ah, so you have to bring her dinner when the babies are Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sabrina contributed so much to ensure an accessible and supportive geospatial field. It's so wonderful to get to work with her. And Sabrina, we wish you all well in your new adventure as a mother of twins. Okay, so we found the perfect article from EO Hub to feature on today's episode entitled How Satellite Data is Helping Tackle Deforestation from Global Supply Chains by author Alex Buskowski in October 2022. So in the article, Alex described multiple efforts to increase transparency in supply chains using EO data to detect for deforestation, um, including Google and Unilever, Satelligence, and Up42. Sabrina and I learned more about the collaboration between Google and Unilever at geo for good this past September, and it was really interesting to see how Google Earth Engine can be used for this application. So be sure to check out Alex's post and the larger EO Hub series when you get a chance. And hey, thanks again, Geo Awesomeness and Up42 for supporting season 13 of Seen From Above. It really ties back to our conversation in the season 13, episode 3, which was in Portuguese. And it's such an interesting talk. I remember in 2021, um, Keiko, myself, and Stephen Hamaj, we had a space on Twitter time where we were talking about already supply chain, how to track the yeah. supply chain using Earth observation. And now we see this year, this regulation from the Uni European Union coming out. So it's so amazing how these things develop so fast. And I'm very, very interested to read this article and see how remote sensing, actually remote testing can really contribute into this new EU regulation, deforestation-free. That's awesome, Flavia. 
So for those of you who don't speak Portuguese, I recommend you maybe transcribe it and you can listen in yourself <laughs> or ask Flavia for more details. But what an awesome episode if you want to learn more. Yeah, definitely. I'm super happy to talk to everyone about this because it's such an interesting topic and I have been studying it for so many years. So always happy to talk about it. And now to close out our episode, we would like to preview three facts about our next guest of that will be released next month. Morgan, do you want to say the three facts, please? So they are remote sensing research scientists with NASA. They have used SAR, LIDAR, and passive optical data in their research. And lastly, they created the first three-dimensional mangrove forest structure map for Africa. So stay tuned. <laughs> Super exciting. I love to, to work with people who like mix up all the sensors. So exciting. <laughs> True data fusion. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thanks so much, Flavia. So this episode was led and coordinated by Dr. Morgan Crowley and Dr. Flavia de Souza Mendes with news contributions from Rafaela Tiengo and audio editing by Flavia. Thank you. And remember, we are humans first and nerve observation science is what we do. So be kind, be empathetic, and be creative. See you next time. See you.